Hey, guys, don't forget, April 23rd through the 28th, 2023, we'll be in Nashville, Tennessee for the second Street Cop Training Conference. You do not want to miss out on that. So far, we have some real big headliners on there. It'll be five days of transforming training in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey guys, another episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. We're going to go over some U.S. Supreme Court case law today. Hopefully this helps you achieve your goal in the field and make better decisions constitutionally and with confidence. Today we're going to talk about Rawlings v. Kentucky 1980 and what happened in that case. When police officers armed with a warrant to arrest one Marquez arrived at his house, another resident of the house, and four visitors, including Petitioner, were there. While searching the house unsuccessfully for Marquez, several officers smelled marijuana smoke and saw marijuana seeds. Two of the officers left to obtain a warrant to search the house, and the other officers detained occupants, allowing them to leave only if they consented to a body search. About 45 minutes later, the officers returned with the search warrant. The warrant was read to the remaining occupants, including Petitioner, and they were also given Miranda warnings, and one Cox, an occupant, was ordered to empty her purse, which contained drugs that were controlled dangerous substances under the Kentucky law. Cox told Petitioner, who was handling nearby in response to an officer's commands, to take what was his. And Petitioner immediately claimed ownership of the drugs. At that time, an officer searched the Petitioner, finding $4,500 in cash and a knife, and Petitioner was then formally arrested. Petitioner was indicted for possessing with intent to sell the controlled dangerous substance recovered from Cox's purse. The Kentucky trial court denied Petitioner's motion to suppress his fruits of an illegal detention, illegal searches, the drugs, the money, and the statements made by him when the police discovered the drugs. Petitioner's conviction was affirmed by the Kentucky Court of Appeals, and then the Kentucky Supreme Court in turn affirmed holding that the petitioner had no standing to contest the search of Cox's purse because he had no legitimate or reasonable expectation of freedom from the governmental intrusion into the purse, and that the search and covering the money in petitioner's pocket was justifiable as incident to a lawful arrest based on probable cause. This finally made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court held this. The conclusion that the petitioner did not sustain his burden of proving that he had a legitimate expectation of privacy in Cox's purse so as to allow him to challenge the validity of the search of the purse, is supported by the record, which includes petitioner's admission at the suppression hearing that he did not believe that the purse would be free from governmental intrusion, nor was the petitioner entitled to that challenge. See, when they talk about petitioner here, folks, they're talking about Mr. Rawlings himself. He's the person who's petitioned the court to try to appeal this. While petitioner's ownership of the drugs is one fact to be considered, arcane concepts of property law do not control the ability to claim the protections of the Fourth Amendment, citing Rackus v. Illinois. Under the totality of the circumstances present, the given Miranda warnings, the short lapse of time between the petitioner's detention and his admission being outweighed by the congenial atmosphere in the house during this interval, his admissions being apparently spontaneous reactions to the discovery of the drugs in Cox's purse, the police conduct not appearing to rise to the level of conscious or flagrant misconduct requiring prophylactic exclusion of the petitioner's admissions and petitioner not having argued that his admissions were anything other than voluntary, Kentucky carried out its burden of showing the petitioner's statements to the police, admitting his ownership of the drugs were acts of free will unaffected by any illegality in his detention, assuming arguendo that the police violated the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendments by detaining petitioner and his companions in the house while they obtained a search warrant, citing Brown v. Illinois. The search of the petitioner's person that uncovered the money in the knife was valid as incident to his formal arrest. Once he admitted ownership of the drugs found in Cox's purse, the police clearly had probable cause to arrest him. And where the arrest followed quickly after the search of petitioner's person, it is not important that the search preceded the arrest rather than vice versa. So what they're saying here is what you need to arrest somebody is not actually just to put them in handcuffs to solidify the arrest. They're talking about prerequisite probable cause. 
And you are allowed by law to search somebody incident to arrest without them being in handcuffs first. Now, certainly, there are times, and majority of the times, we're going to put people in handcuffs and then search them incident to arrest. But there are going to be times in a law enforcement officer's career where we may not put handcuffs on first and then employ a search incident to arrest. One significant factor is probably advising somebody that they are under arrest and not having to put them in handcuffs at that time. There are times like when we're trying to establish a voluntary consent procedure with somebody in custody, citing U.S. v. Watson 1975, where the court said an arrest in public and consent to search of a vehicle was considered a voluntary consensual procedure. So yeah, we can actually get consent to search of people who are in custody, but you just got to follow the rules of a voluntary consent and make sure you're following the guidelines that your state has set forth. I would suggest going into Google Scholar or Casetext.com and clicking your state and searching a phrase like voluntary consent to search. So you can actually research what was considered voluntary consent versus involuntary consent. And the factors the courts will determine and the factors the courts will use to determine whether or not the consent procedure was voluntary. So if somebody says to you they have to be in cuffs in order to search them incident to arrest, the answer to that is they actually don't. What you need is the prerequisite probable cause. Hopefully you found value in this and go out and use it to the best of your ability. Use your brains, be smart, and always stay within the confines of the Fourth Amendment. That is our job as law enforcement is to follow the rules. That's how we play the game, and that's how we urge you to play the game so you can go on and have a continued successful career having greater effect on society. Hey, guys, make sure you're joining our Street Cop Training Facebook group. For law enforcement only, we have over 94,000 members. You don't want to miss out. Constant free training. It doesn't cost a dollar to join. We want to get you the training you need and deserve.